You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and solid movie and TV recommendations for whatever ails you. Please note, we are not real therapists. None of our prescriptions are approved by the Food and Drug Administration. But we are real movie critics. Yes, we are. We are. Fortunately, you don't have to eat any of our prescriptions anyway. You can take them (laughs) visually. You don't insert them. You don't ingest them. You just... Watch them. (laughs) All right, Rafer, should we get to our first patient today? Okay, let's. Uh, Our first patient here asks that we not use her real name. Uh, So, as is becoming a a tradition here on uh, movie therapy, we will call her Emily. How does that sound, Kristen? (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Okay. Emily says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I've been trying to explain to a wealthy friend that we are experiencing the pandemic differently because even though we're the same age, race, and gender, we're in very different tax brackets, and that dramatically affects how we experience the world, especially now. Also, all wealth is stolen from black and indigenous people. All wealth is exploitation of working class people, especially working people of color. Let's just say it's been a rocky conversation. What can I watch to relieve some class anger as I continue navigating this conversation? I get so mad, I'm looking for a movie to get mad with me. Wow. Well, Kristen, how do you feel about that one? I love this letter. And I also love that, Rafer, I think you and I have different thoughts about class to a certain extent. Do we? That could be. I don't know. Let's talk about that. Well, I think about you as still being a little bit smitten with and bewitched with the very well-heeled. Like you watch a movie like Metropolitan and you think, look at these charming rich people. Yes. Yes, that's that's completely true. Whereas me, I just want them all to go on to the Titanic and sink. <laughs> like I'm I'm like, we don't need you. We don't need you people hoarding all the wealth. We don't need you evading taxes. We don't need you exploiting the little people. I don't find you charming at all. But Rafer, you find them charming to a certain extent. And in that way, you and I are different. (laughs) 
Kristen, can I just can I just a counterpoint here? You are also in love with the Royals. I am. Come on. Yes, yes. Come on. <laughs> there is there is no there is no starker example of the idle rich and the and the and the entitled privileged rich who did nothing to get where they are than the Royals. They started this whole thing. Good lord. Okay, okay. In their defense. The royals, the British royals, I've been a royal watcher for most of my life. I'm a royal reporter. Yes, yes all of this is true. I did attend Meghan and Harry's wedding. Yes, this is all true. Look at that. I, I just want to point out, though, that they are the unofficial PR agency for the entire UK. They generate more tourism dollars than anything else for Britain. And on top of that, they're the world's longest running reality show at a thousand years. And the drama never stops with them. We got the divorces. We got the beheadings. We got the births. We got the cheating. We got all of it. And so, yes, I know what you're saying, that they are a problem. But to a certain extent, maybe they've earned their money just by doing all those things. Maybe. Oh, boy, I don't know about that one. All right. Listen, <laughs> listen, you keep the royals. I'll keep, uh, you know, F. Scott's Gerald and the Parisian cafes. We'll just we'll agree to disagree. We'll call it a draw. But tell me what tell me what your thoughts are about uh, about this letter. OK, so Emily, for the most part, other than some royals. I also have class rage. I have it in a huge way. I've been told by certain people that I'm classist in my own way because I have such a low tolerance for the uber rich. I really just can't stand them. And that's why I am prescribing a movie that came out last year to Emily called Hustlers. Ah, great movie. Yes. Now, I'm sure a lot of people know the story of Hustlers, but if you don't, let me explain it. It tells the story of Ramona, played by Jennifer Lopez, and Destiny, played by Constance Wu. There are two strippers making a decent living at a high-end strip club until the financial crash of 2007, 2008 hits. And after the crash, their customers are sparse. The tips are low. And the expectation is that they partake in sex acts in order to get paid. But instead of giving in, Ramona, Destiny, and their crew of other strippers begin targeting the rich stockbrokers and bankers who caused the crash in the first place and who are still living high on the hog without any repercussions. And Destiny and Ramona, they find them in bars, they drug them, they bring them back to the club, and then they charge thousands of dollars on their credit cards. Here's a clip. Hey, these are my sisters. Hi. 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 Kristen, I love this movie. Um, I was so pleased to see it when it came out. It was such a great, uh, a great look at the financial crash from uh, a vantage point that I guess I never would have expected to to view it from. Um, and it's it's you're right. This movie is totally full of class rage. Uh, you really you really feel for these women, even though you know 
that they're doing the wrong thing and that they're fleecing these men and that these guys didn't necessarily do anything to harm them personally. You know this is wrong. You know it's not legal, but you just can't help to cheer for them and because they're just sticking it to the man. Yes. In the most base and and appropriate and satisfying way. You know, another movie it reminded me of a little bit was um, Molly's Game, the one with Jessica Chastain, where she's the sort of poker, the poker maven. Do you remember that oh, movie? Oh, Rafer, I have to confess I didn't see it. No, it's fine. But I, I've heard great things about it. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was not a great movie, but it was a good movie, a solid movie. And it was very similar. You know, here's a woman who you know, kind of entered the shady side of of, uh, of things and kind of entered into this slightly sleazy world and was, you know, kind of uh, playing a little fast and loose with the rules. But the guys she was dealing with were just such shitheads that you just felt like, God, I just hope she fleeces all these guys, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, very similar. I, I, I really I really loved uh, I loved Hustlers. I, 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 always, I always thought of it as Goodfellas with glitter. Oh, it's so good. Like, it's, it's such a fun movie. Yeah, and I gotta say, I mean, it's fun, but it's also very dark. It's sad at times. Yeah. Jennifer Lopez is spectacular in this movie. Oh, she's great. She is. So it's like she was born to play this role. She is so she's good. Great. The supporting cast is also really good. I got to point out that uh, Kiki Palmer, Lizzo, Trace Lissette, Cardi B, a, yeah, a lot. Lizzo. Some of them are just in for a couple minutes here or there, but right. the supporting cast also is just fantastic. And the universe they create inside this strip club, is it just feels incredibly real and at points incredibly glamorous and at other points just incredibly sad and sleazy and all along i like you were saying rafer i was just cheering for the girls to get out ahead i just wanted them to just destroy all these men and to get out right of that's what i wanted <laughs> totally i totally agree <laughs> But Rafer, I am dying to know what you are going to recommend to Emily because I'm guessing it's very different from mine. It is different. I went I went back uh quite a ways. I you know, um I I sort of I know that what you were saying about me, Kristen, is true. I am sort of a sucker for the uh you know, the kind of the the uh the 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 prep the prep the prep school crowd and the uh you know the the tweedy professors and the upper east side and the upper west side i do i love that stuff i can't help it um but you know i was raised really on these movies that were kind of um anti-establishment and counterculture those are the movies that i was raised on that I, that i kind of soaked up as i was a kid so i'm going back a ways uh to one called saturday night and sunday morning from 1960 uh, old Ooh. British film. Yeah, I don't know if you know this one, uh, Kristen. It's, it's, I don't know it, Rafer. I've, I've never heard of it. It's, it's very well known in England, and I think less so here because it was part of, uh, kind of an, uh, it was part of a, a British uh, uh, literary and, and cinematic movement in the 60s that uh, never quite found its way here. Um, but anyway, um, it's from 1960. Hold on, is this part of the Angry Young Men movement? That's exactly right. It's, it's, part of, it's exactly oh, right. Oh, I love the literature from that time. Right. John Osborne, um, uh, yes. uh, Look Back in Anger. Um, uh, this is based on a play uh, by Ellen Silito. So this is the, this is the film adaptation. Um, it's got a very young Albert Finney in it as uh, a guy named Arthur Seaton, and he's a machinist. He's working at a factory. It's in northern England. It's a dreary job. He lives in a dreary town. Uh, he's kind of, 
he's kind of wasting his life. You know, he hates his job. He hates his boss. He's dating a young woman that he doesn't really seem to love that much. He's having an affair with an older married woman. And pretty much the only fun he has in his life is just getting blind, stinking drunk every weekend. And that's kind of all he's got. Um, and it's about this life, this life that he seems unable to uh, improve or get out of. And the movie opens up with uh, kind of a famous monologue, an inner monologue from Albert Finney. He's working in the factory, churning out these little pieces of metal and looking around at all the old men who are still working there. And here's a little bit of his, uh, his inner monologue. Don't let the bastards grind you down. That's one thing I've learned. Jack's one that ain't learned it. He wants to get on. Yes, Mr. Robbo. No, Mr. Robbo. I'll do it as soon as I can, Mr. Robbo. And look where it got Robbo. A fat gut and lots of worry. Fred's all right. He's one of them who knows how to spend his money, like me. Enjoys himself. That's more than them poor beggars know. They got ground down before the war and never got over it. I'd like to see anybody try to grind me down. That'd be the day. What I'm out for is a good time. All the rest is propaganda. Albert Finney is just ferocious in this movie. He, every frame of this film, he looks like he's a split second away from killing someone. Ooh. He's just, he's so full of anger. You, it's his eyes are just incredible. It is, it is one of the great performances you will ever see. And, you know, it, this is a story about a guy who doesn't have the wherewithal to see what's happening to him. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have the sophistication, the education to kind of see what's trapping him and why and why the choices he's making are not going to get him anywhere and that his life is so limited. And, you know, that I think to me is one of the big facets. So when we talk about class rage, to me, that's one of the things we're talking about is the absence of upward mobility or, or, or just outward mobility, the inability to change your situation and, and improve your lot and get ahead and do the things that you want to do. Um, this movie, and it's, it's a very interesting movie. It's a very, it's a really profound movie. Um, and the ending is just, it, it, I don't want to spoil it, but it may be one of the only endings that I've seen that is a happy ending, and yet something about it is just totally heartbreaking. It is really one of the only movies I've seen that has sort of achieved that that double nature and what happens at the end of this movie. Um, you know, and I just think it's it's one of these movies that makes you wonder how much of yourself you're seeing on screen. You know, what how much of this how much of this is you? What are you, what are you mad about? How are you coping with it? And and what's productive and what's not productive and what's trapping you? That's one of the things I love about this movie. Mm. Well, I am definitely going to have to check that out, Rafer. Again, Rafer's prescription for Emily is Saturday night and Sunday morning, and my prescription is Hustlers. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, a huge thanks to everyone who continues to rate us five stars in Apple Podcasts. For example, We Are the Potatoes. That's quite a name. <laughs> we Are the Potatoes recently gave us five stars and wrote, I started listening to movie therapy at the start of quarantine and my life has changed forever. Rafer and Kristen are so relatable and kind and always have a solution to whatever ails you. Love them so much. Oh my gosh, We Are the Potatoes. We love you so much. <laughs> and 
we love potatoes. Potatoes are delicious. <laughs> Who doesn't love potatoes? Potato chips, mashed potatoes, French fries. Pringles. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. All the potatoes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Stay with us when we're back. We have someone who wants to find her professional passion. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. We're back with our second letter of the week. This one is from Desperately Seeking a 9 to 5. Ah, yes. Kristen, you want to read this one? Yes. Also, I love any time someone mentions the words 9 to 5 because they make me think of Dolly Parton. and Dolly makes me so happy. So anonymous letter writer, thank you. <laughs> Desperately Seeking a 9 to 5 says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am 33 years old and I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I am currently staying home with my two small children who I love, but I would like to do something else too. Don't worry, I'm in real therapy, not just movie therapy. I majored in a creative field in college, and I've worked in that field on and off ever since, but it is not my passion. I've also had lots of different day jobs, but never any real drive or path. I would love to have some ambitions, even if I never realize them. Any recommendations for people still figuring out what they want to be when they grow up, when they're in their 30s? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, and I feel like this is a common problem. I feel like we, we often get letters from people who are, who are feeling um, a little adrift, a little uh, unmoored, not quite sure what to do, where to go, um, what they should be doing. Um, I, you know, I can relate. It took me so, so, so long to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, am I even positive now today that it was the right choice? Not totally. Um, <laughs> listen, everything has worked out beautifully in some ways, but, you know, it's tough. It's tough and it's also scary trying to sort of pull the trigger on something, make the jump and and commit yourself to a path. Um, that I think that's always a tough thing. So, you know, I have a lot of empathy for this listener. Yeah, I, I also have a lot of empathy for this listener. But 
I do want to point out that this whole idea that your job has to be your passion, your identity, the reason you get out of bed every day, it's a relatively new thing. And I don't actually think it has to be true. I know a lot of people, my sister included, who love their lives, but their job isn't necessarily something that they're passionate about. Their job allows them to pay the bills. It allows them to have the life they want to. It allows them to afford a nice house, vacations, to to raise their kids in a certain way. Sure. And so I just want to say that I, I don't think everyone needs to feel an intense passion for their job. And, sure. you know, frankly, a lot of people don't. Sure. But if you do want to find that job you're passionate about, I also want to say one other thing, which is your passion may change. Something that you're super excited about right now, you might be bored with in five years, and two years after that, you might get really excited about something else. And I think that's totally fine too. I know that's been the case for me, for Rafer. We've switched jobs a number of times. Yep. And I think what's more important than finding that one passion is really just the journey and learning what we like and learning what we don't like, because sometimes we learn a lot more from the things we don't like than the things we do. I think that's very true. Um, well, Kristen, what's your prescription for this listener? It's a tough one. I am going to prescribe something that um, I think, if I remember correctly, you hate this movie, Rafer. Oh, okay. But I'm going to prescribe it anyway. Okay. It is the 2013 version of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, Kristen, I hate this movie. I I thought you did. Even as I was writing this up on my prescription pad, I'm like, Rafer's going to grab the prescription pad away from me and he's going to throw it in the trash because oh, he's going to be so unhappy that I'm prescribing this. Ooh. But but let, let me uh, tell our listener a little bit about this. Okay. This movie follows Walter Mitty, played by Ben Stiller. He's an employee at Life Magazine who spends day after monotonous day developing photos for the publication. To escape the tedium, he uh, daydreams of far-out adventures where he's always the hero. When Life announces that they're going to move to being an online-only magazine, no more print, a legendary photojournalist who works closely with Walter Mitty named Sean O'Connell, played by Sean Penn, he sends Walter a package that includes the negative for the photo that will grace the final cover of life. The problem is the package doesn't include the negative. And so Walter goes on a real-life, round-the-world adventure to find it. Here's a clip. We do have ahead of us the privilege of publishing what will be the very last issue of Life magazine. And for the final issue, we just received a telegram from Sean O'Connell. I expect full consideration of negative 25 for cover. There's 25. That's not there. I know. Maybe it's still on. What's the matter? I lost a picture of his. I like mysteries. You should go. Crack the case. You were Sean's partner. You were the person who worked the hardest to make sure his work was realized the way he wished. He finished his work. Oh, boy, Kristen. This movie, <laughs> I just... I, I, I can't... I really, I really remember hating this movie more than almost any other movie I saw this year. And I like Ben Stiller. I like Ben Stiller. I really wanted this to be a, a, a good movie. And I remember, uh, you know, having some fond memories of the original uh, with Danny Kaye. Um, I just, the, whole, the, the picture, the negative, the Sean Penn character. I didn't think Sean Penn was funny or interesting. 
the uh, uh, Kristen Wig right is in this. I thought the scenes with her were awful. Oh boy, <laughs> I mean, I get what I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying about this. I I think, I think I I think what I appreciated was that you know the film still had a good heart and was trying to say something kind of inspirational and nice and and feel good. I just boy for me it just didn't work. But tell but tell me why you're tell me why you are prescribing this one. All right, so I am prescribing this even though I know you hate it, Rafer, because it's okay. I think Walter is like a lot of us. He's working a perfectly fine job that doesn't make his heart sing. He fantasizes about a bigger world, but he doesn't necessarily know what, practically speaking, would be a better life for himself. And the fact is, he may never know. Even at the end of the movie, we don't know if he's going to know what's the next job he should have, what's the next thing he should do. But he just goes out there and meets new people and sees new places. He observes how other people work and live. And by the end, we know that he has love in his life, and we know he has integrity, and those things are what's going to make him okay. Finding a new perfect job, maybe that's not going to be in his cards, but exploring the options and enjoying the adventure of life, those two things are going to be there for the rest of his life, and that's just as important. So... That's why I am prescribing this because, uh, you know, to our listener nine to five, maybe you'll never find that one singular passion in a job or maybe you'll find a passion that works for you for a year, but then three years later you hate. And that's fine because I think a lot of what makes life enjoyable is not the destination of the perfect job, the perfect partner, the perfect house, the perfect car. It is going on that journey and enjoying that instead. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, I think you and I may have kind of a, a similar ideas of why we picked our movies, because I, I feel like some of what you're saying is a little bit the reasons that I picked my prescription for this listener. Um, and this is a movie I think that you I think you like this movie. I think you've seen it. Um, it's called Frank from 2014, the film about the indie rock ah. band. Do you remember this movie? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was such a weird movie. <laughs> Boy, do I love this movie. Uh, and I, I don't so know. It's so weird. Yeah, it really is. And and the, the great thing is it's it's based on a true story uh, or sort of inspired by at least. Um, so I don't know if this is going to quite, quite fit the bill for our listener, but it's the first movie I thought of. Um, so this is a movie about a, a young man. Uh, named John, played by Donald Gleason. Great performance by Donald Gleason. It's the it's, this was the sort of the first movie that really made me sit up and take notice of him. He's uh, living in a small uh, seaside town in England. There's not really much of a music scene. He's trying to write songs. He's not very good at it. And one day, this very strange band drops into town. Uh, their name is uh, pretty much unpronounceable and almost unspellable. But I think you would call them <laughs> the Sauron Perfubs. I think that's how you'd pronounce it. Uh, and and uh, fittingly, their music is pretty much unlistenable. But what's interesting about them is that the singer wears a giant paper mache head on top of his real head <laughs> that kind of looks like a giant version of his own actual head. But he never takes it off. Not ever. Not on stage. Not off stage. Not in bed. Not in the shower. Not ever. He's always got the head on his head. And his name is Frank. And for some reason, he kind of takes a liking to John, even though the rest of the band pretty much despises him. And he asks John to be in the band. And so John joins the band and thinks, this is it. This is my big break. Here's a clip. Enough frivolity. Today, 
we begin work on the album in earnest. Frank wants us to start everything from scratch. Color coding. He's created an entirely new musical notation system. We've designed our own instruments. He has initiated a strict regime of physical exercise. Fortunately, we have a safe word for when things get too intense. Chinchilla. It's incredible. Frank finds inspiration in everything. I find this inspiring. How does he do this? If I'm to grow as an artist, I must see as he sees. Now, Rafer, I am curious why you are prescribing this. Do you want nine to five to join a band? <laughs> Do you want her to wear a paper mache head? What's going on here? Well, the answer to all of life's problems is pretty much to put on a paper mache head. But if you can't do that, um, <laughs> you might have to make a plan B. No. All right. So here's the reason I recommend this movie. And this is why, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going out a little bit on a limb here. Um, the main theme of the movie is this kind of mythical, romantic connection that people make between craziness and creativity. You know, Frank is, the character of Frank is definitely, a, he's off balance, this guy, but he's very creative, you know, creatively, he's kind of a genius, kind of a weird genius type. So that's that's the the main theme of the movie, but there's a there's a hidden sub-theme in this movie that spoke to me much more powerfully when I saw it, and it's this. John, this character... He's determined to be a successful musician. He's not that great at it, but he's determined to be successful. He's got this idea in his head of what that's going to look like, and he's chasing it desperately, and he sees his chance in Frank. Frank, on the other hand, does not want to be a success at all. He only wants to play music, and he does not want to be successful in any way. And the more John pushes Frank to become a success, the worse things start to go for everyone. And the unspoken theme of this movie, especially the way it kind of has this kind of ambiguous ending a little bit, the unspoken theme is that maybe John is chasing something that he doesn't actually want. Maybe he's looking at this dream that he's manufactured in his head. He has an idea of what his life is supposed to be like, and he's so busy chasing it that he's never stopped to consider what might actually make him happy, that maybe there's something different he could be doing, something maybe within the music world or something related or something, but that maybe this idea of success, this dream he's painted, is not really the thing. And so he's kind of lost the ability, kind of like what you were saying, Kristen, to sort of appreciate the journey and appreciate what he's doing and what's happening and what's right in front of him. Um, so to me, that's the theme that kind of spoke to me the most powerfully about Frank. Mm. That makes sense. So nine to five, you don't need to wear a paper mache hat, but <laughs> you don't. But also be open to the journey. Kristen, I concur. So once again, our recommendations are from me, Frank, and from Kristen, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. All right, we're going to take another quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, 
RaferandKristen.com and fill out the contact form. You, of course, do not have to use your real name. You can be one of the millions of Emilys who write in every month or use a name like 9 to 5. Totally up to you. Or anything involving potatoes. Yes. We love potatoes. <laughs> and if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That is at Facebook.com slash groups slash RaferandKristen. When we're back, we have our What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. We are back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next Letter. Rafer, I'll let you take it away. All right. This one comes from Marshall. Marshall says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, my wife and I recently stumbled across Cobra Kai, a Netflix series spinning off from the original Karate Kid franchise, which she and I both loved as kids. It stars Ralph Macchio in his old role as Danny LaRusso, and William Zabka reprises his role as the bully Johnny. There's also a new generation of cool kids and not cool kids. It's a fun, cheesy show that's not trying to take itself too seriously, but just be what it is. When we're done with Cobra Kai, we're hoping we can watch another TV show based on a movie from our youth. Please tell us what to watch next. Ooh. Reefer, have you seen Cobra Kai yet? I, I feel like you and your kids would love this. I am uh, well informed about Cobra Kai, and here's the reason, because Ralph Macchio is from Long Island. Oh! And of course, I write for Newsday, which is a Long Island paper, so I just recently interviewed Ralph Macchio all <gasps> about did. Cobra Kai going... Well, I, I initially interviewed Ralph Macchio when the series first premiered on YouTube, um, so it already had two seasons on YouTube. And oh, then finally, there was some... Yeah, so this is something that not a lot of people know. Uh, it was initially on YouTube. Um, I can't remember quite how everything went. Google, which I think owns YouTube, was kind of getting out of the scripted series space. Netflix, which had originally wanted the show anyway, um, jumped in, took on Cobra Kai. So probably what this listener has seen so far is the first couple of of seasons and i think the third season is yet to come but there's a third season that's going to be produced by netflix and that's yet to come um and i will say when i first heard about cobra kai and started watching a few shows i my my expectations were extremely low and i was really pleased at how <laughs> funny and smart and fresh it is uh the guys who created it uh, are the guys who did hot tub time machine oh um, that explains a lot <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's got it's a really clever twist on on the Karate Kid legend where now Johnny Lawrence, the bully, is this kind of drunken slob um, who's down on down on his luck. And, you know, Ralph Macchio is the kind of two, kid who's he's he's become like the successful used car uh, salesman and he's like too big for his britches and he, life is going great. He's living a charmed life. And now it's the bully who like wants to come back and take back his life and. It's 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 a great little flip flop in those two characters. I have to say, I was I was really impressed. The show's really fun. It is. It's really fun, and I was kind of dragged into watching it. Um, uh, okay, I, I was with a friend and her five and a half year old son having a picnic in the park recently, and he just kept on wanting to play Cobra Kai with me. It's all he could talk about. Really, and I'm like, I love it. I'm like, what is this Cobra Kai situation? <laughs> I feel like I need to you know, learn what's going on here. So the next time I see him in the park, I can actually like 
do my part here. Um, and so yeah. I went home that night and watched it and I was like, oh, this five and a half year old has good taste. So Ansel, I know you're yeah. not listening to this podcast, but thank you. Thanks to you. I, I'm now a Cobra Kai fan too. It's really good cheesy fun. And as a little totally. kid, I loved the Karate Kid. Rafer, I think I've told you before, the first time I was ever totally disenchanted with the Oscars and realized it was a racket was the year that the Karate Kid did not receive a Best Picture nomination. And oh my God. No, no, nope. that's right. Yeah. And ever since then, I've always known the Oscars, as much as I love them, they will hurt. They will disappoint. <laughs> Even with all the sequins, they will break your heart. So uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of feelings about the Karate Kid and uh, Cobra Kai. Anywho, back to the question of Marshall here. What should we prescribe him to watch next? Well, uh, look, I'll go first. Um, I don't have a I don't have a television show uh, to prescribe, but I do have a, a movie that is kind of a meta movie flashback to other movies that this listener may remember. Uh, I'm guessing if this person saw Karate Kid uh, when he was young then probably he recognized this actor. Uh, the movie is called JCVD. It's from 2008, and those initials stand for Jean-Claude Van Damme. <gasps> oh, and... Jean-Claude Van Damme it. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And of course, uh, he's uh, the star of the show. And um, it's a great little movie that got a lot of critical acclaim in 2008. Um, the director, uh, French director, I think, um, never quite did that much afterward but uh and i'm never quite sure why because this movie was really interesting and fun um and jean-claude van damme basically plays himself he's jean-claude van damme he's a former action star who's hit middle age uh, nobody wants to cast him anymore he's nearly broke he's got an ex-wife a daughter who hates him um everyone thinks he's kind of a cultural punchline and one day he walks into a bank and he realizes the bank is being robbed and through a misunderstanding outside, the police think he's one of the robbers because he's so down on his luck. He's such a miserable creature. Uh, but inside, he's actually just a hostage. And all the other hostages are going, well, you're Jean-Claude Van Damme. Kick these guys' ass and save us all. And he's saying, I I'm just a dude. I, I, only, I only play these characters in the movies. Uh, but of course, the big question becomes... You know, can can he rise to the occasion? Can he become the Jean-Claude Van Damme that everyone thinks he is? Here's a clip. You must surrender. But the window didn't explode, right? I'm 47 years old, and it's very difficult for me to do everything in one shot. We have an actor here whose films no responsible parent would ever expose their children to. Go, go, act. I lost my daughter. You're gonna get over it. The check you made bounced. I'll get the money, okay? Tell the producers I need someone up front. Listen, John Claude, they took somebody else. Who? Steven. Steven Seagal. He promised to cut off his ponytail. John Claude Van Damme is holding the bank. Possible hostage situation. Oh my God, Rayford, the sounds so good. I remember when this was out, I didn't end up seeing it, but I remember there was a lot of buzz around this movie when yeah. it came out. Yeah, it made a little bit of a splash. Um, and uh, I think what really uh, uh, impressed people was, A, this kind of, like I say, this kind of 
meta concept that it has a, a little a little bit like Cobra Kai. It's it's kind of flashing back to something that we all remember, but it's putting a modern day twist and it's bringing it into the modern day. Um, but what really amazed people about it was that Jean Claude Van Damme seemed to be actually a really good actor. And he's he's playing this role very convincingly and very naturally. And there's this really remarkable scene. Um, it's like something out of, I don't know, like a Eugene O'Neill play or something where he suddenly kind of floats up uh, out of the room and out of the action up in toward the ceiling. You, you know, he and you, the camera with him. And he delivers this extremely emotional monologue about his career and fame and money and God and, you know, facing death. He breaks down crying at one point and it's all done in a single shot. It lasts for, I think, six minutes oh and then gosh. returns him back to the action. Um, it's a really amazing sequence. Um, and, I, and the thing is, I would not even say it's necessarily the best part of the movie. The, the whole movie is really fun and interesting, but that, that monologue was what really caught people's attention. So... Like I say, it's not a TV series. I know Marshall is asking us for a, a series, but it's uh, it's similar to Cobra Kai. You know, it'll again, it'll give you that that little bit of nostalgia, but it also does something kind of new and fresh and fun with it. So JCVD, that's my recommendation. That sounds so good, Rafer. And it's really fun. I, I cannot believe you said Eugene O'Neill and Jean-Claude Van Damme in the same sentence there. Wow. <laughs> You know what? You're right about that. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, okay, now, but now you're you you are you are our resident TV expert, so I'm expecting something good from you, Kristen. What what have you got? Well, I am recommending a brand new Netflix original show called Ratchet, and oh, you've watched Ratchet. Oh yes, I have. And I'm excited. Ratchet is part of the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest universe. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest came out in 1975. Uh, it is based on the novel of the same name from 1962. It was a tour de force for Jack Nicholson. But the character who a lot of people were fascinated with was Nurse Mildred Ratchet. She's the psychiatric nurse who is always calm possibly a little bit sadistic. Uh, oh, possibly. <laughs> I don't want to give it all away. <laughs> but Louise Fletcher won an Oscar for this role. She is just a captivating character. And ever since then, I know that I'm one of many people who have thought about her over the years, like, what an interesting character. What what was going through her mind? What's her backstory? And in this new TV show for Netflix, Ratchet, we find out. So it opens in 1947 with Mildred arriving at a leading psychiatric hospital in Northern California to seek employment. This hospital does experimental, and I'll just say it, outright gruesome treatments on its patients. Oh. And uh, there's also a lot of dramas taking place behind the scenes, including one that is very intimately related to Mildred and her past. Here's a clip. I remember my mother and father, but I can't picture them. You see, I was taken away from them when I was very young and told that someday I would see them again. But that was a lie. The doctors and nurses here they want to give you hope that one day you can leave here 
But you deserve someone to show you mercy. How different I would be if someone had. Now, this is uh, Sarah Paulson playing Nurse Ratched. Yes, and I just love Sarah Paulson. Um, wow, she's great. She's so good. And I remember, Rafer, when you and I went to see 12 Years a Slave when it came out, and we both had a lot of outstanding things to say about everyone in the cast. We loved Lupita Nyong'o. We, we loved everybody. But I remember you and I also both were really impressed by Sarah Paulson in that movie. Yes. And I've been pretty much ever since then a Sarah Paulson fan. And she is so good in this. She's got those angelic, giant, big brown eyes. She's got that ability to be both very calm and very cruel at the same time. Uh, right. Because this is a Ryan Murphy production, there are also moments that are very campy, that are almost funny, that are gory. Uh-huh. The visual art direction is absolutely stunning. Uh, the use, cool. The use of color, the sets, the costumes, the hair, everything is just beautiful to look at. The supporting cast is out of this world. It includes Cynthia Nixon, Judy Davis, Sharon oh, wow. Stone. Oh, wow. Lots of luminaries that we all know and love. And um, if you've ever been a fan of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I didn't see One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I don't think, until I was a teenager, to be honest with you, or maybe even in Mm. college. Uh, But if you ever watched that when you were younger, I'm sure that you also have thought about, what was the deal with that nurse? What what was up with Nurse Ratched? Well, totally. totally. I think that this is a show that you'll probably enjoy then. So that's what I'm prescribing to uh, Marshall here. I think that sounds fantastic. And I'm glad to hear a good review of it because I was really intrigued by it. Again, I'm a, I'm a Sarah Paulson fan. It seemed like a really great uh, casting choice. Um, so I, so that sounds great. I'm really glad to hear that it's, uh, that it's good. Um, all right. So I think those are two pretty solid recommendations there. Uh, from Kristen, Ratchet on Netflix. And from me, from 2008, JCVD. Yes. All right. Well, Rafer, sadly, it's time to sign off of this episode of Movie Therapy and do some Jean-Claude Van Dammit street fighting. I was just getting warmed up, Kristen. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, you're right. It is time to go. Everybody out there, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you need some questionable advice and solid movie recommendations, you know where to find us. You can use the contact form on our website, RaferAndKristen.com. Once again, you don't have to use your real name. Yes, you can also tweet us at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer. And again, don't forget, we love it when you give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I am Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.